Good morning, family. It's good to be with you guys. Got a chance to get connected years ago to Brother Dennis, and he has been such a blessing to my life, my wife's life, and a mentor, uh, someone who I've been able to cry with and, and just share the, the endeavors of church planting in Humble Park. As was said, my wife and I, Sonia, who's somewhere around here, she might, oh, she's up there, I love her. Um, in our seven kids, we have our youngest, Symphony, with us today. She has six months. The others didn't get dressed on time, so we left them home. Um, if you would, if you can join me in prayer once again as we ask God to speak to us. Father in heaven, we need you as we sung to you. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Would you fill us, O oh God, and would you point us to the Christ, our King, our Messiah? Lord, we need you and your church, the universal church all over the world, Lord. We need you to fill us and empower us. God, would you help us to go back to your word? Would you help us to take on the mission that you have called us and commanded us to do? God, would you empower this family here to be faithful to building one another up with their various gifts to take these gifts and to go out into this neighborhood and to all the places where you have them, Lord, that they would be a witness, a reflection of you, Jesus, in all the places where you have them. God, we need people to not only see Christ, but we need them to hear truth and feel loved. God, would your kingdom come and will be done here and once again in all the places where you have my family. As was said, Lord, would you give us ears to hear hearts to understand, that we would be individuals who would not simply hear your word, but be doers of your word. God, we need you, for apart from you, we will not be able to do anything that is said in your scriptures. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I am about 20, 25, 30 minutes from here in Humboldt Park. Uh, it's a neighborhood 10 years ago, which was predominantly Hispanic. Um, when God initially called me, to the ministry, I had my plans and where I wanted to plant a church, and that was in a neighborhood north of my neighborhood, uh, which was more uh, gentrified and had more individuals that I knew if they came to the church would probably be able to help me financially. God says, no, I'm sending you back to the Hispanic people. And I said, Lord, for real? Can you send me to anybody else but them? And after years of fighting and, and really bucking up against God's call, the Lord really used my wife to remind me of the fact that I was raised in this neighborhood, we were saved in this neighborhood, and that God had allowed me to understand the language, really, of the neighborhood and to be able to take the truths of the gospel and minister them in a way that they would understand. It was by the time that I came back to Humble Park that it was drastically different than it was 10 years ago. We had hipsters, which I'm still trying to figure out how to work with that culture. I have learned since then to love coffee. I never drank coffee prior to that, but God says, become all things to all men. I said, okay, I guess I'll drink coffee. From there, we also have our neighborhoods where low-income housing and condos are side-by-side side next to each other. Individual broken families that have uh, children that are either being raised by the grandmother or the mother, no father in the picture, and then another kind of brokenness where individuals think they have it all and they have no need of Jesus. While gentrification in our neighborhood is said to be a bad thing, 
if we of the church would look at this, I saw this as a divine appointment because for the first time, we have multiple different ethnicities, cultures, generation, all within this neighborhood. This is where New City Fellowship got its name from. One of the things that I, over the years, in being called a church planter, I've always bucked up against that definition, that title, primarily because of something a mentor of mine, Dahadi Lewis, once said. He says, you never in the scripture see the command to plant churches. What you see is a command to make disciples. As a matter of fact, he went on to say, Edgar, remember this. You can plant churches and never make disciples, but you cannot make disciples and not plant churches. I took that and I ran with it. I took that and I said, Lord, how on earth am I going to make disciples of this people group? And he began to expose my heart in various ways and show me my inconsistencies of those that I wanted to love. As much as I couldn't stand my own people, I found myself flocking only to my people. Again, as I said to the hipsters, I said, I can't really deal with them. I'm not going to put on skinny jeans and I'm not going to wear these different clothings. There's no way I could connect with them. And sure enough, Lord pressed it on my heart and said, just say hello. Be neighborly. Introduce yourself. No one's asking you to change you and you're not even trying to change them. Only I can do that. Just love them. I said, okay, Lord. And then when the neighborhood began to get heated, especially during the summertime when we have the gangs in the neighborhood are high and out and at each other's throats, I said, God, I'm going to leave the neighborhood. My family needs to be safe. My children need to be safe. And the Lord pressed it on my heart once again to say, if there's darkness here and you are light, why on earth would you leave? I said, okay, Lord, I'll stay. But how do I relate to them? How do I talk to them? I've never done drugs. I've never gangbanged a day in my life. He pressed it on my heart and said, just say hello. How you doing? My name's Edgar. What's your story? And in the neighborhood where individuals would like to see them pushed out into another neighborhood to be somebody else's problems, I came to actually befriend quite a few of them to find out that they did what they did either to take care of their family because this is the way that they were raised and it broke my heart to hear many of these gangbangers say, the reason why we're doing this is because the gang is my family. So it's like, but what about the church? The church is a family. It's just like, no, no the, the, the church is everything but family to us. It was then that God began to introduce me to all these various relationships and use me to be a bridge. Introducing individuals that would not normally do life with one another God said, open up your home. One of the calls of a pastor, of an elder, is to be hospitable. And sure enough, inside this household, God would use our home as a tool for the gospel, where individuals would begin to hear the truths of Christ, would begin to wrestle with their differences in a manner where they can talk to one another, not talk at each other. We, the church, have to do the very same thing. Our title for today's message is the mission and the purpose for my church, New City Fellowship. That title is Making Disciples in All of Life for All of Life. Our points are going to be as given. Point number one, who gives this mission? Point number two, what is the mission? And point number three, why is this the mission? 
For the sake of being reminded of this scripture, I'll read it again. The scripture says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's get right into point number one. Who gives this mission? If I'm honest, we could all say Jesus gives this mission, but that wouldn't do any justice to who he is. To simply give that answer and move on is to treat this word that we are reading, this mission that Jesus is giving, and the one who gives it as common. What I mean is, in my neighborhood, in the culture that I grew up in, and what I'm seeing as a trend is Jesus is just another household name. It's the name that you would probably say when you see a coworker. Good morning, Bob. How's it going, Jose? There's no reverence. There's no awe. It's just Jesus. It is a name we use to associate with people that are familiar to us. A name that we could probably do away with and forget about. But the scripture doesn't allow us to do that. If I look at my generation, my generation treats Jesus as an honorable name, but a kind of honorable name that you would also see in history, like Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln, Roberto Clemente. But Jesus is so much more than a famous historical figure. The generation that is after me rarely knows who Jesus is. When you go into the kids in the neighborhood and ask them, who's Jesus to you? They'll probably say it's one of their friends that they play ball with. Then God in the flesh. The generation or two that comes after me, well, let's just say, and I don't know if it's anybody in this room, but they have grown weary for the good that God has called them to do. So overwhelmed by the culture, so overwhelmed by the church and how powerless we are, how the church has become irrelevant. The generation before me, they speak about Christ, but oftentimes hold on to their traditions and will not contextualize. The individual gang members in my neighborhood, they will not associate with because they are of the world. And yet the scripture tells us that these are the very individuals that we are called to engage, but not just them, every ethnicity, every culture, every language we are called to love and pursue. This is one of the reasons why I believe we, the church, have forgotten or left the mission. We don't see Jesus rightly. Networks and denominations now are trying to scramble to find the next strategy to get this mission done. When in all reality, if we just went to the book, if we just went to God's word, believed what it said, prayed that he would empower us and fill us with the spirit, and then obeyed, we would see a drastic difference in the church. As I look at you guys even now, I'm encouraged young, old, different ethnicities and cultures here. This is not the church that I see in my neighborhood. This is not the church that I grew up seeing. 
And so I praise God for what's happening here. But you all will have to fight for unity. You all will have to fight for taking this mission into the streets here, into your schools, into your job. Y'all will have to pray fervently for one another. That God would bring about this mission through you guys, through the pastor that is going to be taking place here. Because the enemy will seek to divide us. Will seek to divide you. So the point asks, who gives us this mission? By way of observation, we see that the giver of this mission has influence and some kind of position, impact over people because we see that he has followers, disciples, a group of people that hear him and obey. A group of people that hear him and they follow his direction. Is that what defines us? Do you call yourself a disciple and are you one who hears Jesus' words and obeys them or simply hears them? Our text also tells us that Jesus, more than just a mere man, is divine for he is worshipped. These followers here prostrated themselves before Jesus. Jesus is not simply a teacher, a prophet, or a good moral man. No, he is, as the Apostle John said, the word of God who is in the beginning with God. Jesus is the one who in his ministry declared before Abraham was, I am. He is, as Paul declares him to be, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by this Jesus who gives us this mission. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent over all. Who is it that gives us this mission? By his words, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. This is who gives us this mission. Family, if we would listen to what Jesus says, if we would simply obey what God called us to do, the impact that we would see in our communities. The world around us would not have bad things to say about the church other than the fact that we're narrow-minded because of the truth that we proclaim. But they wouldn't be able to bring an accusation against us if they saw the love that we had one for another, proving ourselves to be his disciples. Is Jesus just a household name for you? An analogy I used with my kids is if you watch The Lion King and you have the hyenas and they end up making the statement. Every time they said Mufasa, they're like, ooh, say it again. Mufasa, ooh. That's just like Jesus is so much more than that. When we say Jesus, it should shake us to the very core. When we say Jesus, there should be a sense of awe in the fact that we know him. And that he knows us, that he calls us loved, that we belong to him, that he died for us, that he lived for us, that he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, that we would be reconciled to the father. Jesus is more than just a common name. He is God. He is king and worthy to be praised. Amen. 
Secondly, we see the question as we go on to point number two, what is the mission? As I had mentioned before, my mentor, Dahadi, you will not find anywhere where it says to plant churches. But you will see the call to make disciples. So Jesus continues, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I'm pretty sure this text, as I'm saying it, I'm preaching to the choir. This is not something that you all don't already know or haven't heard before. But I will echo the words of Peter, 2 Peter 1, as he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Or, as the Apostle Paul says, to write or say the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Or even what the beloved Apostle John wrote, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, I say this passage in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth and because no lie is of the truth. I'm also made aware of the fact because God is sovereign and there is no such thing as coincidence. This word is meant for this family on purpose, especially as you get ready to take on your shepherd to be. That you would daily remind him it is not our systems. It is not our gimmicks. It is not anything that will win people over. It is the call to make disciples, to do life with them, to open up our life to one another, that individuals will be saved. When we look at this text, my generation, group of individuals at my church would be like, well, there's four missions here, Pastor. I was just like, well, I don't know if there's four missions, but let's look at it. What are the four missions? They say, well, we, one mission is to go and one mission is to make One mission is to baptize and the other is to teach. But upon examination of this text and the native language, what we see is these four verbs in the Greek. One of them is imperative. The imperative verb here is to make disciples. As a matter of fact, many scholars would say that you could even render this passage by saying all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus. Go, therefore, disciple. The other three verbs, go, baptize, and teach, are all a means by which the imperative verb disciple is executed. And so we as a church should understand we go to disciple. We baptize to disciple. We teach to disciple. John Wesley, a theologian of the 1700s, said, The church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. Jeff Banderstelt A pastor in Seattle said, life on mission is not just about being disciples, but also making disciples who make disciples. David Platt, current president of the International Mission Board of the SBC, says, the mega strategy of Jesus, make disciples. 
It must be said and understood, church. As a pastor once said in Atlanta, the discipleship is not a ministry of the church. It is the ministry of the church. The church makes disciples by caring for, equipping, and mobilizing every covenant member to be on mission and to do life where God has them. And we have unfortunately forgotten this command. In an attempt to be creative, we have developed systems and spent more time and money delegating discipleship to special groups or professionals as opposed to equipping all who made a profession of faith in Jesus. We have made ministries where a form of discipleship can happen, but then we narrow it down to that time and space. Some have limited it down to the one-on-one sessions over coffee, as opposed to mimicking the life of Christ and living life on life with others in the everyday. If you would entertain me a little bit more before we go on to these other verbs, but in the 13 years that God has privileged me to make disciples and see what we see in the scriptures of how discipleship looks, the reason why it is delegated to those professionals is because it's extremely messy. It is hard. It is difficult. There is no way discipleship can happen, for one, without you taking on their burden. There is no way for you to disciple one and expose your life without that individual seeing all your weaknesses. We avoid it so much because it requires a dying to myself and a carrying of the cross that maybe we've never been taught or shown. I know growing up, that was the case for me. Discipleship was limited to a Bible study, something that we did on Sunday service, something that we did on Bible studies. But the rest of the week, that was my time. And yet you look in the scriptures and you never see that segregation. It wasn't your time in church and then your time in life. You are the church and every day counts for the saint. I believe this mission and command of God to make disciples will be recaptured once we see Christ and how he lived it out. That discipleship will not be regulated or given to those who are simply mature in the faith, but that we would actually take on individuals mature and immature alike. Those who have been filled with the Spirit and leverage one another in their gifts to build each other up, as Ephesians 4 tells us. I can't begin to tell you how many times my oldest two, who have made professions of faith four or five years ago now, how many things that they have discipled me in? How many things that they have taught me? How many times my 14-year-old daughter, when my wife and I are having a discussion, a disagreement, and then a heated argument, and she comes alongside me and says, Papi, the Bible does say be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. (laughs) And what of it? Is that showing Jesus? Okay, I'll go pray and then I'll repent later. Thanks, love. It's because of the things that I have not only taught her or her mother has taught her verbally, but what we show in action. We cannot say for the children that are here, wait till you're older and then you can make disciples. No, if you have the spirit of God here today, you can disciple even us grown folks. There are so many things that we could learn from one another as opposed to limiting the Holy Spirit and who he decides to work through. As I'm looking at this, we see go. 
we go to disciple. This word go should be understood as as you're going disciple. We should not see discipleship as adding things onto our plate and already busy schedule. But we should see this going in the rhythms of what you are already doing. It reminds me of a story of a brother by the name of Jason. Five years ago, we were part of a house church plant in the neighborhood not far from where I'm at currently. And as we began to look at the lay of the land and what was it that certain individuals flocked to, basketball was one of those things. And for me, I love playing basketball. And so I told them, on these days, we're going to get together, we're going to round up a couple guys, and we're going to go play ball. Now, Jason is about five foot two, little chunky guy, and he loves video games and skateboarding. And he looks at me and says, Pastor, you mean to tell me our grand scheme of reaching this community is playing ball? And I was just like, Jason, discipleship is as you go. That's out of your way. You don't play ball. So, no, we wouldn't ask you to come with us. We would ask you, where are the places where individuals are gathering in this neighborhood who love to skateboard, who are passionate about the things that you're passionate about? There are actually a couple members in the church who do the same things that you do. So all of you together go and engage those people. Do what you do well and then give glory and credit to God for the ability to do so. And then invite people to do life with you and enjoy them. Or I'm reminded of Miss Betty Ron and Miss Betty's husband Deke who live across the street from me. When New City Fellowship was planted three years ago this past Sunday, Ron, Betty, and Deke were the first ones that we met across the street. Now for us, since God placed us there purposely, we'd be foolish to think, well, we see them, we'll just go back in our house and maybe they'll go away. No, went across the street, introduced ourselves, and every day for an entire summer, they were always outside from the times of 12 to 6 and then sometimes till 3 o'clock in the morning. But we knew that they were always going to be there. So what does that mean? If they're always going to be there, then there's always an opportunity to share Christ. Ron happened to be one of the locals in the gang there. And I got a chance to share Christ with him after we both got caught in a gun shootout. Now, what normally happens when something like that occurs? Time to pack up and go. Well, if we pack up and go, then Christ may never be shared or displayed in those situations. Ron has since gotten a job and is currently trying to make his way out of the gang, though his friends are holding on to him pretty tightly. But continue to pray for him. What about Tamar Citrin? Tamar is a teacher at the Jewish school that I currently work at. She is the head of the Judaic Studies program over there. As you go, make disciples. So from the time that I get up, from the time to my commute, I know my job is going to be one of those places where I'm going to land at. I'm on mission. I'm displaying Christ. My job is not simply to make a paycheck. Your job is not simply to put your hours in and then leave. No, there are people there who need to see and hear Christ, and you happen to be the individual that God is going to use to do that. Pray for those opportunities. As you go, who are the individuals that you see every single day in your routines? Learn to be attentive to your neighbors, the people around you, the things that take place. And you'd be amazed at how many interactions you can have simply as you go and not doing things out of your way. 
If we understood what as you go really means, maybe we wouldn't put ourselves in situations to minister in places and in neighborhoods that aren't even in our community. What I've seen in the church is far too often we neglect our Jerusalem to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth when God is saying, I've placed a harvest right in your backyard. Be faithful to loving them. Don't worry about the other individuals. I love them more than, I, more than you love them. I'll send people there. As a matter of fact, I command you, pray that God would raise up laborers to engage that harvest as well. We work too hard and we go too far doing some of things that just, at the end of the day, well, we hope that they come to our church. No, don't hope that they come here. Hope that they do life with you. Hope that you get an opportunity to open up your home and share Christ and all the message that you have to show them how gracious he is and how merciful he is to even help you work through all our inconsistencies. Amen? Amen. Then we see baptize. The call to baptize in the sake of discipleship is to submerge people in the identity of the blessed Trinity. That is baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to submerge individuals in an identity that says, you who believe in Jesus are children of the Father. You are part of the body of Christ. You are now the church, the bride of Christ. And you are those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God who will lead the saints to see Christ, convict you of sin, that you would be transformed. My upbringing, what I was baptized in, was a teaching of good works. Submerged in do better. Identity in the Trinity was not something that I was given. And thus, in my culture, amongst the Hispanics, we're always trying to do good to earn God's love. It was anti-gospel. It was behavior modification. It wasn't what Jesus discipled his people in. And then we see (coughs) that we are to teach all that Jesus has commanded. Or is it teach to observe all that Jesus has commanded? The other thing that I was shown in this text when I was young in the faith is just memorize some scripture. Wear a shirt that has some nice biblical lingo on it, and that's how you teach people. And yet when I look at the text, he says, teach people to observe all that I have commanded, which means more than saying you must also do. For those of us who are parents in this room, we would agree with the saying that discipleship is more caught than it is taught. You can say all day long, do not do and do this. But what will they do? Everything that you do. So parents, when you're correcting your child on something that they're doing that's pretty foolish, examine yourself first because they might be getting it from you. I know this firsthand. Now, Jesus was not only the greatest teacher who ever walked the earth, but he was the greatest practitioner of the things that he taught his disciples. We must be the same. Not hypocrites who say the right thing, but then do all the wrong things, but individuals who say the right thing and then depend on the Spirit of God to live out what we are calling other people to do. The individual world does not believe the church because far too often we say the right things, but we're doing all the wrong things. We're not loving like Christ. We're not loving like Jesus or living like him. 
Lastly, we come to the point where Jesus reminds us that he is always with us to the end of the age, which I think ties to our last point. Why is this the mission? I believe the why behind the text has many layers to it. Why does Jesus give, the, give us this mission? Why does Jesus command us to go make, baptize, and teach? Not only does he promise to be with us, but I believe the connection even to that is found in the book of beginnings. In the book of Genesis, we see that when God created man, he was given a mission. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. The command he gave them was to be fruitful and multiply. What are we, the church, supposed to do today? To be fruitful and multiply. The command given to Adam and Eve was subdue the earth, have dominion over the creatures of the earth, and live in community. Display the image that you were made in over all the faces of the earth. Scatter far and wide, displaying me by living out what I've called you to do. To disciple is to lead and teach people to hear and obey Jesus. And as we hear and obey Jesus in light of the events that have been taking place, in light of what we saw Jesus do with his disciples, as we do so, we will begin to reflect Christ, show him, speak his truth, love as he loved. We want to see the image of Christ restored in people who are far from Christ. We want the image of Christ to be seen far and wide in your workplace, in your home, in your schools, in your neighborhood. But that will not happen if we simply invite them to a gathering here. You must be Jesus out there. You must reflect him. You must show him. A word that I don't think you all would have a problem with, but in my neighborhood it would is we must make disciples of all ethnicities and cultures. Unfortunately, Christ, who he is and what he has called us to do, is very segregated. In my neighborhood, we only have Hispanic churches or black churches or white churches. And the church planners that are coming in that desire to have that multi-ethnic church, it's really for them just to look good on the inside has nothing to do with doing life with one another. Do you guys do life together? Does the world out there, when they look at you and they see you together, be like, I want that? How is it that you guys, young and old, different from different backgrounds, how do you guys do life together? How do you love one another? Jesus, who has given us a command to go, to baptize, to teach. We love one another because We are not like family. We are family. In closing, I want to ask you these questions. One, who is discipling you and who are you discipling? Again, this is a command given to us to execute every day until Jesus comes and takes us. Who are you discipling and who's discipling you? Doesn't matter how old or how young, there's always a need to be discipled and always a need to pour into someone else. Two, have you limited discipleship to a Sunday gathering, Sunday school, small group, or Bible study? 
Or is discipleship something you are seeking to do as you go in the rhythms of everyday life? As you go, make disciples. Don't limit it to just one location or time. Third, is your discipleship limited to information transfer? Or does it consist of information and a life that displays God's transformation in and through you? And lastly, does discipleship define who you are or does your discipleship flow from who you are? Church, if we want to see the kingdom advance, and we want to see the spreading of this gospel. If we want to see Christ displayed and scattered throughout this neighborhood, then we have to disciple individuals, young old don't wait till they get it disciple them men take younger men into your home teach them what it means to be a man what it means to be a husband what it means to be a father show them your screw-ups show them how the bible corrects you show them and lead them in repentance to my sisters what does it mean to be a wife a mother a woman who works hard and is found and comfortable in her identity in Christ? What does it mean for the family to do life together, to share our home, to share everything that we have? Nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to God. In order for that to be displayed, in order for that to be caught, in order for that to be seen, it will require you to be vulnerable. It will be messy. You will get hurt. But in the end, we pray Christ is glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us Jesus. Give us the bread of life. God, would you forgive us our sins? Would you forgive us of where we, the church, have failed and dropped the ball? And would you empower us as we embrace your forgiveness, as we embrace the cross? Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from evil. God, we want to see your people reflect you in all the places where you have us. God, would you empower this family here to see you in your word, God, and as they see you, that they themselves, that we would all be transformed, sanctified from one degree of glory to the next, Lord. God, I pray that if there is anyone here who does not know you, who has heard everything about making disciples and has no idea where to start, God, would you draw them? Would you help them to see that salvation is only found in you, Lord? in your perfect life, in your death, taking upon yourself all of our sins, in your resurrection. You rose victoriously, Lord, on the third day, conquering sin and death. And if we would repent and turn and submit ourselves to you, that we would acknowledge that we have nothing to give you that will save us. There is nothing that we can give you to earn your love, but that we would throw ourselves upon Christ and believe in everything that he has done 
you will give us this free gift of salvation. God, I pray for my family that we would be reminded, that this family would be reminded every day of the gospel truth, and that they would remind one another of their identity in you, that they are a son and a daughter, not because of what they do, but because of everything you have done. That they would take this liberating and free message of grace into this neighborhood. God, we want to see revival in your church. A revival will only start with your church. I look forward to hearing of all the things that you will do with this family here. And I pray if this be the last time, Lord, that one day we will all be rejoicing with you in the kingdom, seeing you face to face. We love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this privilege and this honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray.